the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And so a, a person who's really spiritual looks at what they have and says, you know what? This is far more than what I was born with. I was born with nothing, nothing. And now look at all I have. I'm content. If I don't get anything else in life, I have gained so much. That's a spiritual person. Benjamin Franklin once said that contentment makes poor men rich and discontentment makes rich men poor. Now that sounds like a wise observation, but it is one thing to desire contentment and quite another to attain it. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will have some biblical advice to help us learn to be content. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and today he will be concluding a three-part message on the Tenth Commandment. In this commandment, God warned us against coveting not only our neighbor's worldly goods, but also his intangible blessings, such as honor or position. Now here's Pastor Steve with an example straight from the Bible. There are many Christians today who are extremely jealous because they do. They do covet the prestige and honor that God has allowed others to have. And they resent the fact that others are paid more attention to than, than them. In fact, there's a great illustration of this in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Let's turn there. You may not have thought of it this way. It's a story of a young couple, or a couple, I should say, in the young church. I don't know how young they were. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple, a married couple in the infant church in Jerusalem. And the story, though most of us start with chapter 5, the story really begins with chapter 4 of Acts. And this is so typical of where we are. And I want to bring out something here because I don't want any of us to go from here minimizing this sin, thinking, well, we all have it, so what's the big deal? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and would lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, this is not an ongoing situation in the church. These people were very poor. Uh, the church had just been born on the day of Pentecost and some were caught, some were in Jerusalem celebrating it and then they became believers and they couldn't go back home right now. Some of them would... would uh, go back home and they would have lost their jobs. Some in Jerusalem had lost their jobs. They were very, very poor. And so everybody sort of pooled their resources. This is not something that continues all the time. The spirit of giving does, but not necessarily communal living and all that. But notice this, verse 36. Now Joseph, 
a Levite of Cyprian birth. This is a man named Joseph who is a Jewish man, a Levite, and he was uh, originally from the island of Cyprus. He was also called, and this is the name we know him by, Barnabas. Barnabas, that's what the apostles called him, which translated means the son of encouragement. This man was even given a nickname. He was Barney the Encourager. And he he must have been a man who just was great in encouraging others in whatever way he could. And verse 37 says this, he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this man had real estate. He sold it. He took all the money he got from it and said to the apostles, here it is, distribute it as you see fit. Chapter 5, verse 1, but, and notice, but, there's a contrast here. There is somebody else who wants to do something like this, but not exactly. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas, and kept some of the price for himself, not like Barnabas. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Folks, this would be like coming forward in a church in an altar call saying, I surrender all, but you haven't surrendered all. That's exactly what it is. I'm giving all of this to the Lord, but I'm not giving all of it to the Lord. That's what this is. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own under your own control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? And you have, not li- you have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard about it. I'll bet they were afraid. I'll bet they were trembling. I'll bet they were an honest group after this. And the story goes on to say that the same thing happened with Sapphira, his wife, who came in later, and she died too. So God struck them in judgment. Now, what's the big deal here? What's the big deal here? It does appear in the context that what Ananias and Sapphira longed for was the same honor and recognition that Barnabas got. It wasn't just that they lied. It was that their lying was born out of a covetous heart. They coveted the attention given to Barnabas. Maybe the church made such a fuss over him. I mean, obviously it was a big thing because Luke records it. And maybe the church said, isn't this wonderful? Look what Barnabas has done. And Ananias looked at that and said, wow, I can get recognition like that. I'm a a nobody in the church. I'm a nobody in the church, but I will get the attention of everybody. I've got some property. I'll sell it, but I'm not going to give everything. I'll claim that I will so that they'll honor me, but I'm going to keep back some, keep it for another day. That's, That's the sin here. And God struck him down, struck him down. Because of covetousness, it cost them their lives. Why? Now, you may look at this and say, why? I've coveted, and God hasn't struck me down, and I've lied. Not once, but many times. And in my life, I've coveted many, many times. Why? Listen, this was a vivid lesson for the early church to understand about church discipline, about the purity God expects. This is radical church discipline. They didn't go before a council. They just happened. Did you know, did you know that covetousness that's unrepented of is one of the sins that ought to be 
dealt with in church discipline. In fact, any hardness of heart. But covetousness is spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We don't often think about that. You think about church discipline, we often think, well, if they're involved in immorality, we need to put them out of the church. But it goes far beyond that. It does involve that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians rather chapter 5, Paul wrote in verse 9. Now the setting here is that they had a man who was having sexual relations with his stepmother, and, and the Corinthian church prided themselves in being very tolerant. They were liberal minded. Look at us, how open we can be to this. Why, we're just like our society, and that was the problem. And Paul wrote them in chapter 5 and said, you got to put that guy out of the, out of the church. One bad apple corrupts everything, everything, the whole bunch. And so he finally wraps this up in verse 9 by saying, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. So there was a letter before 1 Corinthians. We don't have that letter. But Paul said, we wrote, I wrote you not to associate with immoral people. I already went over this. But he clarifies it. He said, but let me explain what I didn't mean. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters for then you'd have to go out of the world. What Paul's saying, I I don't mean isolate yourself and just be with believers. If you can't associate with immoral people in the world, you can't be with anybody in the world. This is the way the world is. If you can't associate with with covetous people, you, you have to isolate yourself and, uh, and, and live in a monastery. He's not, he said, I'm not saying that at all. You have to get out of the world. This is the, way, this is the world we live in. But verse 11, but actually, I, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. I, I was referring to those who claim to know Christ. If he is an immoral person or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, what Paul is saying, he's not saying that we break fellowship with somebody who has a problem with coveting, because, folks, then we can never fellowship with one another. What he is talking about, if you look at this verse, when he talks about immoral person, that's a person whose lifestyle is immoral, not that they have fallen into immorality. When he talks about covetous, that's their lifestyle, that's their habit of way. That's the way they live. There's never any repentance. They're not convicted of it. They love it this way. They're going to continue this way. Someone who is covetous by, by characteristic in terms of the, the whole life is characterized that way. Paul says, you ought to put them out of the church because they're, they're not acting like a believer. They're acting like an unbeliever. Treat them like an unbeliever. An unbeliever is not a part of a, uh, a godly church. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, this is important that we understand this so we don't minimize this. Ephesians 5, verse 5, Paul says this, for you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, he equates coveting with idolatry, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If your whole life is just coveting, without any struggle, any desire to repent, any times of repentance, if that characterizes your life, then you're not a believer. Paul says, understand that people like that have never been regenerated. A regenerated heart would would certainly have uh, struggles with this, like everybody else, but there would be repentance. There would be repentance. So the great danger posed by a covetous heart is that it prevents First of all, unbelievers from coming to Christ unless they repent. And secondly, it causes believers to act like unbelievers, loveless and self-centered. So, what is the cure 
to this all-encompassing sin? Let's look at the third question that helps us to understand this. And this is really what you've been waiting for. You know you have the disease. What's the cure? What's the positive virtue that the 10th commandment encourages? Let me clarify this before we, we deal with this. Coveting is not simply desiring things. We all have desires. It's all right to, to desire something. It's okay. The sin of coveting is that we are never satisfied with what we have. We must have more. We want what others have. Understand that at the root of the sin of coveting is a discontentment with what you have. Therefore, the virtue that we need to develop if we are to obey the 10th commandment is the virtue of contentment, satisfaction with what God gives to you. Now, I want to clarify this because somebody asked me about this last week after the message. By contentment, we do not mean taking a fatalistic view of life. Well, whatever happens, happens. There's nothing I can do to change anything. It does not mean being apathetic or non-ambitious. It does not mean you have a kesara sara attitude. Whatever will be, will be. And so that's the way it is. Nor does it mean that you should be lazy and uncaring about what you have. It's not at all what this is saying. But it does mean that we recognize that after working hard and being diligent and obtaining what we need, that we are to be satisfied with what we have. That's what it means. You work hard. You should be ambitious for the right reasons. You're diligent. You obtain what you need. Then you have to be satisfied with that. Have to be satisfied and not dissatisfied with, I, I need more and more. Scripture calls us to be content. And I want us to close the series by looking at three passages of Scripture, each giving a unique insight into how to be content. First of all, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll just spend a, a few brief moments on this. But 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice verse 6. Paul says, remember he's, he's responding to those false teachers who said that religion is gain. A pretense of godliness will make money. He says, verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Paul states, this is a marvelous truth, that the person who really is godly, as opposed to those who pretend to be godly, sees himself as wealthy. He sees himself as wealthy. If you're really spiritual, you see yourself as wealthy. In other words, a godly person looks at everything he has as God's provision, and he is content with those provisions. Now, the point of these verses is to say, whatever you have has been given to you, note this, by the sovereign hand of God. Not by miracles, but by providence. Providence are the ordinary, mundane things of life. You have a job. Well, God opened the door for that job. You have certain abilities and talents. God gave you those abilities and talents. You have, you have a, a certain measure of health that allows you to uh, perform those duties. All, all, all of that. That's providence, folks. And God, by providence, has sovereignly given you exactly what you need what he wants you to have let me put it that way what he wants you to have therefore the the person who's really spiritual looks at what he has and says you know what everything i have comes from god it's all gain because he understands what 
verse 7 and 8 say, we brought nothing into this world and we're taking nothing out of it. So if you brought nothing into this world, isn't that true? Anybody seen the birth of their child? They came in naked and they're going out naked. There's nothing that they came, they came into this world with except their little bodies. And we're living that way. As the saying goes, that you never see a hearse carrying a U-Haul. You don't ever see that. How much did he leave behind? Everything. What kind of a question is that? Everything. Whatever he had, he left behind. You're taking nothing with you. And so a, a person who's really spiritual looks at what they have and says, you know what? This is far more than what I was born with. I was born with nothing. Nothing. And now look at all I have. I'm content. If I don't get anything else in life, I have gained so much. That's a spiritual person. That's the way we ought to look at life instead of uh, coming into this world saying, you know what, I'm an American and Americans have more and more and more and more. That's a very worldly perspective. In fact, that is the epitome of worldliness. It's all about me. So contentment comes when you have that attitude. Look, I have food to sustain me on the inside. I have a covering to sustain me on the outside. I have life. And I am content. I deserve nothing. I came into this world with nothing. So anything that I get is just gravy. That's, that's, that is how you breed contentment. So let me, let me practically apply this. What you ought to be doing and focusing on is not what you don't have, what you wish you had because somebody else has that. And if only you had it, you'd be so much happier, which is not true. But that's what we think. Instead, what you need to do to, to cultivate contentment is to be thankful. Every time you think about what somebody else has, thank God for what you have. Every time you see a house that looks a lot nicer than yours, thank God for your house. Somebody has nicer furniture than yours, nicer lawn, thank God for what you do have. Because what you have is what God wants you to have. Whatever you have is exactly what God has ordained for you to have. Now, that's not breathing apathy. Work hard. It's fine. But 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? Meaning, whatever you have, you receive from God. So be content. Second passage that helps us to develop contentment is Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 is addressed, actually the whole book is a a persecuted people. But in the midst of their persecution, the writer says to them in verse 5, and by persecution, I mean, we know from chapter 10, the government actually confiscated their property. So some of them were thrown in prison. Others had property taken. Some might have been thrown in prison and had property taken. Verse 5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What, man, what will man do to me? This is a great truth. This is a great truth. Not only is God the source of your possessions, but he promises that he will care for you even when others take things from you. So if you're going through a very difficult time and you don't have much and maybe you're in poverty or maybe you're getting closer to that, you can trust the Lord. He's your helper. He's your helper. You don't have to covet what other people have. He will give you exactly what he wants you to have. It may not be your desires, but it will be your your needs. He is a loving heavenly father who promises that he will not run off and leave you. So whatever you have, folks, is what God has given to you and you need to trust that he will provide for you. You don't need to covet after what you don't have. God will give you what you need. 
Third and final passage that addresses the issue of contentment is Philippians chapter 4. Remember the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 who said he had a real coveting problem? Well, Paul learned how to deal with, with his coveting heart. In fact, he said in Acts chapter 20 I, and, and Thessalonians said, I have coveted no man's gold or silver. So Paul learned, just as you and I can learn about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11. He writes, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul learned this. If he can learn it, you and I can learn this. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What a great statement. Paul experienced, he tells us, both poverty, most of the time I might add as a believer, but also prosperity. There were times where Paul was very prosperous. Most of the time, as we studied 2 Corinthians, he was not prosperous. He was very poor. And he said in these two set of circumstances that he had learned the secret of being content. So what is it? What is the secret? He tells us in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is not a verse to claim in a sporting event. As many people do. You cannot do everything. You cannot leap tall buildings at a single bound. You can, this is not, this is not, I have power to do everything in this world. That's not what this is about. What this is about is contentment. And the secret of contentment is that regardless of what you have or don't have, Jesus Christ will sustain and strengthen you in all circumstances. I can do, meaning I can, I can handle all circumstances, because it is Christ who strengthens me in all circumstances. When I have a lot, he sustains me so that my head is not turned and I don't, I don't get exalted with pride and forget other people. When I have next to nothing, he sustains me and strengthens me and I trust him. You see, folks, you will never find contentment and satisfaction apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul discovered. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to give you that relationship with Christ. It, it won't give you that. It'll reveal to you that you don't have it. It'll reveal to you that you're a sinner. And it'll point you to Christ by showing you that you've broken all of his laws and you need his forgiveness. And that forgiveness is found only in Christ because he died for sinners. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life to those who trust him. So, As we conclude this series, if you have never trusted Christ, I urge you to do that. There there, there may never be a series that will be so pointed in terms of revealing our sin as this series. And if if you have trusted Christ as a Christian, this doesn't lead us to him. We're already there. But it simply means that these are the moral standards flowing out of God's unchanging moral nature that never ends. If you want to please him, obey him from the heart. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we thank you for what we've been able to study as a church body. Lord, we thank you that though we close this series, your word endures, and it, we, we pray it'll continue to bear fruit. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you that they will be convicted of their sin enough to come to Christ for salvation. For those of us who do know you, Lord, help us to be thankful for all that we have to appreciate and and recognize that you are the source of all that we have and to not ever be resentful and bitter towards you. 
Lord, we are satisfied with you. We delight in you. We rejoice in you. If you never gave us anything else, we've already had far more than we deserve. We thank you that salvation is a gift as well as everything else. And we pray, Lord, that we might enjoy this gift and those who who are still lost, that they might receive the gift of eternal life by faith in Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you could join us for this final lesson in Pastor Steve Kreloff's series on the Ten Commandments. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We invite you to visit us on our website at versebyverseradio.org. If you missed any of the lessons in this series, you can find them on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a cassette or a CD with this entire three-part message, please call us at 727-239-0306. We invite you to join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve launches into another series of lessons, one verse at a time. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.